0: are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, a community striving to follow Jesus and make disciples. Join us for one of our three worship gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 a.m. at 150 Remick Boulevard beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. It's encouraging to see uh, Southwest children wrestle with the same question that we're wrestling with, with as adults. What does it mean to be a follower or disciple of Jesus? I'm so grateful for Our children's minister, Tammy Stahl, and and our many devoted uh, volunteers in children's ministry that are uh, pouring themselves into children, coming alongside the parents and and seeking to instill in our children a genuine faith uh, so that they will be lifelong followers of Jesus. Here at Southwest, we're committed to instilling faith in the next generation. And we've talked a lot over the last year about our Next Gen initiative, which is all about investing in the future so that we can make uh, more room for children and students here at Southwest to, ha- so that we can have a greater impact in in, in raising up a the next generation. Of Jesus followers. Next weekend, we're going to have a milestone moment in our history as a church as we're going to celebrate our groundbreaking of phase two. Uh, and I'm excited about that. We're going to be uh, uh, actually getting some shovels out there and and, and turning some dirt next weekend. And uh, we want to encourage you to be making plans. Uh, we've been inviting all three worship gatherings. So I don't know, maybe maybe this hour uh, next uh, week will be the biggest crowd. Uh, Who knows? Or maybe they'll just come back for lunch. But either way, uh, at 1230, we're going to be out there. We're going to be excited about turning some dirt. And then we want to invite you to come for that, invite you to encourage you to invite others to come and celebrate with us as we consider the possibilities of what God's going to do in the life of Southwest in the future. We also want to invite you to to bring a lawn chair, maybe a blanket, and bring a dish to share with others. Because after the groundbreaking, We're going to share a meal together and just uh, celebrate that time together. Uh, And so with that said, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our 6th through 12th graders. We have a class for you. I wanted them to hear about the groundbreaking next week, but they'll be leaving and going over to the YMCA. And after phase 2 is done, they won't have to leave this building. They'll just go to a different part of the building. It also seems appropriate that next weekend, uh, we're going to provide an opportunity for parents uh, to make a public commitment uh, to provide godly parenting for their children so that they will truly grow up to love God and follow Jesus. So if you would like to participate in that parent child dedication and you've not let us know yet that you want to participate, please put it on the communication card or contact us the first couple days of this coming week so that we can make uh, preparations to make that special. Also, as we talk about all these events and activities instilling faith in children, um, it seemed like a good time to also announce that we've got a date set. our upcoming Vacation Bible School this summer. It's going to be July 11th through 15th, and we want to encourage you to mark those dates on your calendar. Consider volunteering uh, so that we can uh, truly pour uh, our lives that week into children here, but also children in the community. And our theme this year is going to be Cave Quest, Following Jesus, the Light of the World. And it seemed appropriate to announce that today because that's the identity of Jesus that we want to focus on together this morning is how Jesus is the light of the world. And so with that said, let's, uh, let's go ahead and bow and pray and ask God to really be at work in our time of, of studying of his word together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to this earth to shine a bright light into our world, to illuminate our lives. And I pray, Father, that today as we, as we wrestle with what does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world, that not only will we see more clearly his identity, but that we will see clearly what he calls us to be and how he calls us to respond to him. And so I ask, Father, your spirit will truly be at work to exalt Jesus in our time together today. It's in Jesus we pray, amen. Today, as we look at the second of the seven I am statements that Jesus made in the gospel of John, let's read in John chapter eight, verse 12, this bold and clear statement that Jesus makes. In verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. One of the principles that we seek to uphold here at Southwest is the importance of reading and studying Scripture in the context that it was originally written. So as we try to unpack the meaning of This amazing claim of Jesus that he is the light of the world. We want to take note of the setting that Jesus first made that bold proclamation. The context of this teaching and the context of this verse was during the Jewish Feast of the Booths or the Jewish Feast of the Tabernacles or some translations of the Bible might say the Jewish Feast of the Shelters. It was a celebration every year that the Jewish people uh, participated in. It was in the fall of the year, September or October. Now, faithful Jewish people from all over the world would come, they would return to Jerusalem and they would celebrate an entire week uh, of god 's provision and leadership for them as a nation they They would uh, reenact and celebrate actually they would they would stay during that week in tents or booths or shelters to reenact uh, their journey as a people as they left Egypt and traveled through the wilderness and then eventually uh, entered the promised land which we Uh, later would be described as Israel. Now, as we dig into the history of this Jewish celebration, we learned that in Jesus' day, it was the custom during the festival to light these huge lights that were in the treasury section of the temple. And these, these lights were actually these huge torches that stood 65 to 70 feet high. Now, can you imagine? I mean, how high those torches would have been. Jerusalem, by the way, is on a mountaintop. And then the temple was at the highest point of Jerusalem. And then on top of that, they, they build these torches, put these torches up. Uh, this ceiling is about 22, 24 feet. Is that right, Scott? Okay. Um, so imagine about three times higher than this ceiling right above me. And it's in the midst of these torches being lit that the Jewish people would sing, they would dance, they would celebrate their freedom as a nation. And it's in that context that Jesus emerges from the crowd in the midst of that celebration with these four torches being lit. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. As we think of that context what a bold statement for Jesus to make. As I researched the context and as I found historians describing the glow that these these four lit torches would create all over the city of Jerusalem, I was brought back to my wife and I's recent trip to Washington, D.C. to visit uh, one of our daughters who lives there. And when we go to D.C., uh, we've gone four times now each of the years that our daughter has lived there. And uh, each time we go, my daughter plans ahead different things that we can do, different sites. There's a lot to see in in D.C., so each year we've done different things. I'm still waiting for her to plan a, a trip to the Nationals and watch the Washington Nationals play, but that's not as high on my daughter's list. She's very artistic, and so she has us go to museums and and art galleries, and that's good for me. It kind of stretches me a little bit sometimes. But this, this past trip, we did something that we'd never done before. We went down to the National Mall area at night, and we looked at all the, the beautiful memorials in D.C. lit up at night with the fountains. This is a picture of the World War II memorial that we took at night. And, and even though this picture is kind of small on the screen because was a panoramic view, in the background you could see the Lincoln Memorial lit up, and it was, it was truly Breathtaking. My daughter, who lives there, and she lives on the very southern tip of Washington, D.C., she says that on a clear night, you can see the glow from the monuments throughout the memorial. And I think about, that's what it would have been like for the Jewish people of Jesus' day. They would have seen a glow throughout their capital of Jerusalem. And it's in that context that that Jesus steps forward and says, okay, you're impressed with this light. I want you to know not that I'm another light. I am the light of the world, a light that will provide lasting glow in your hearts and your lives if you'll embrace me. You see, it was truly a bold statement by Jesus and just as we've noticed the past 2 weeks these these bold claims of Jesus were perceived by his Jewish audience as him claiming to be equal to the God of Israel. And from this context we see that Jesus provides light for our lives. And we're going to see how that he provides light in some very specific ways. For effective ways in our life. The first, if you're taking notes, is that this light, the light of Christ, provides guidance for us. In the context that Jesus first uttered this bold claim of being the light of the world, the the Jewish people were celebrating how the Lord had provided guidance for them as they left Egypt and traveled in the desert. The Bible describes it this way in Exodus 13 and verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them, he guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. Now, this is one of those. Those times in Jewish history that I would have loved to have seen. I would have loved to have seen what it would have been like to be a part of this traveling Israelite army, this traveling uh, group of maybe up to two million Israelites as they're traveling through the desert, and to know that there was this pillar of cloud that led them in a very direct, clear way during the day. But then at night, that pillar of cloud would turn to a pillar of light. And that's what they were celebrating when they lit those four torches in the temple. And you know, that would have been so cool to have such a clear direction. As as we go back and read Exodus 13, we find that, that the Lord didn't lead the Israelites necessarily the direct path to the Red Sea and through, but instead He led them the best path for them, for where they were at in this point of their faith journey. And I think that's a great point for us to realize is that the Lord leads us today, not necessarily the obvious path or the direct path or the easy path, but if we're truly seeking the Lord's lead in our life, He will lead us the best path for us. And yet the question is, are we really looking to Jesus' direction for us? As the Israelites followed that That lit pillar of fire for them to know the way that the Lord was leading them. Are we truly seeking the Lord's lead in our life? You see, that begs us to ask the question when we face decisions in our lives, in our families, in our careers, in our church family, do we first seek the Lord's guidance? Do we first seek his direction for our future? Or do we simply make decisions and then ask him to bless those decisions? You see, sometimes Christians can can flower the language and say, oh, I'm praying that God will bless this decision. But the question is, did we first seek his lead? When's the last time you truly consulted the Lord's direction? and guidance in your life prior to making a decision, whether it be a decision in your own life or your career or your family? When's the last time you honestly said to the Lord, I know what I want to do. But the more important question is, what do you want me to do in this situation? You see, Jesus comes on the scene in the context of the Jewish people remembering how they, at that point in their history, had truly trusted the light to lead them. And he's saying, now I am the light of the world. It seems clear to me that Jesus is saying to them and to us that we need to begin taking our guidance from him. And it's important for us to remember that Jesus didn't take the easy path. And that when we follow him, that sometimes we will find ourselves praying as he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. And although we might not have a pillar of cloud during the day or a pillar of light at night, we do have the shining example of Jesus recorded in the Bible, who was consistently obedient to the Father's will. And he blazes a trail for us to follow in our lives. A number of years ago, there was a craze among Christians to wear bracelets. I, I wear a bracelet every day. It's a reminder for me to pray for Claire Kaprowitz. And every morning when I put it on, I'm reminded to pray for her and for her healing. But a, a number of years ago, a lot of people wore bracelets like this, and it just had four simple letters, WWJD. Some of you remember that? And it was just a, a just a real subtle and... and easy way to be reminded that following Jesus means going through life, asking yourself the question, what would Jesus do in this situation? And I think uh, based on this context of what we're talking about, another, wa- another way to describe that WWJD is we're facing decisions in life is, what would Jesus decide here? You see, if Jesus is truly the light of our life, then we will seek his lead and his guidance and his direction. Of course, sometimes we know the right thing to do, but maybe like Jesus, we have to be willing to go the tough way and be willing to even go through pain to do that right thing as he did. Now, the light that Jesus provides not only guides us, but it also protects us. The psalmist would later write in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Isn't it good news to know that if we follow the path that Jesus blazes for us, that we will not only find guidance, but we will find protection. You see, his light not only guides, but it protects. Honestly, we live in confusing times, times that can be a bit scary to try to chart our path for the future, whether it be our path as a future individually or as our family or as a church family or even as a nation. And yet the good news is that no matter how dark our world might appear to be, And no matter how confusing the present terrain might appear, we need to remember that Jesus continues to be the light of the world. And if we will keep our eyes fixed on him, that we can have the assurance, the promise that he gives us in his word, that his life and his teaching will truly provide guidance. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my, for my path. Are you allowing Jesus to guide you? The second effect of following Jesus as the light of the world is that we will find true meaning of life. This was the claim that the gospel writer, John, has made throughout his book. When he, when he first began in chapter one, he, he makes the claim that from the very beginning that, that Jesus' identity is both light and life. In John 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Skipping down to verse 9, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I love verse 5 when it says, The, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isn't it good news to know that Jesus is the light that cannot be overcome or extinguished? Being an extrovert, I I love to read and study in public venues. So often as I'm reading and and studying and preparing messages, I do it in a, a local coffee shop or sometimes even a fast food establishment where I can get a cup of coffee. And as I sit there and, and read and have my coffee and have my Bible open out in public, I'm, I'm amazed how many people will come up to me and, and make comments or ask questions, which is another reason why I love reading my Bible in public. It leads to some interesting conversation. And some of the comments that are made, you know, sometimes people will just walk by and say, that's a good book. And I'll go, yeah, yeah, that's a good book. But uh, others will will view my reading the Bible out in public as a as an invitation, even sometimes when I have the earbuds and listen to music when i 'm kind of that's kind of code of saying, "Leave me alone right now," but people will still come up and i 'll have to take the earbuds off, and they 'll ask me questions about some hot topic in our culture, and so it leads to interesting conversations and sometimes and actually often, if somebody has kind of a religious background, it seems like people want to talk about the subject of end times. And usually when they ask me some kind of question about the book of Revelation or something, they'll usually conclude their interest in this area. They'll say, well, you'll have to agree, it's, we're living in dark times, it's got to be the end. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's been some pretty dark times in the past. I mean, the dark ages, okay, for one. There's been some pretty dark times in the past, but I do believe that Jesus is going to come back someday, and I don't know, maybe it will be in our lifetime. But what I typically share in those conversations with people, I'll say, well, you know, things are kind of dark sometimes, but you know, this is my conviction that Jesus is the light of the world and that his light shines even brighter in dark times. And that if we will follow him, that we in turn can shine in a dark world. Let's remember the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has no to overcome it. This phrase can also be translated, the darkness has not comprehended it. Which is exactly the case of the religious people of Jesus' day who were upset with his bold claim that he was the light of the world. In verse 13, after he makes his claim in verse 12, the Pharisees replied, You are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. You see, they were caught up in the darkness of their own self-righteousness and they couldn't see the truth that Jesus was teaching And unfortunately today, many are missing the beauty and the power of Jesus' teaching due to the darkness of their hearts and their lives. This week, one of my favorite authors, Eric Metaxas, wrote a fascinating article in USA Today. It was actually in the guest contributor opinion page. And it was an article about the Bible. He made this observation. Every single year, the Bible is the world's best-selling book. Now, I knew that. What I didn't know is what he wrote next. But recently, it made another less coveted list. It made the American Library Association's top 10 most challenged books of 2015. Well, that got me interested, so I had to research this list. By the Bible being on this list, what that means is the Bible is among the most frequently requested books to be removed from the public libraries in our nation. I don't know if you knew that. Why? Why would this bestseller of all times be requested by so many people to be removed from public libraries? It's because many simply don't want to accept the claims of the Bible. And the claims of the one that the Bible points to. And this is exactly what Jesus told us would be the case. You see, the light of the world shines a bright light into our lives. Now, for those of us that are seeking guidance, for those of us who are seeking protection, for those of us who are seeking a better quality of life and are open to the change that Jesus invites us to, then His bright light is good news. But for those who would just prefer status quo, for those who would prefer the same old same old, for those who don't really want to experience life change, then Jesus' bright light is something that they resist. Maybe you've resisted his bright light in the past. And that leads us to our next observation, that the exposure that Jesus' teachings and His life brings to our lives. So you see, some people don't want that exposure. Maybe you're one of those folks. You know, as I think about this idea of how light exposes darkness, I was trying to think of of how I've experienced that in my own life. I, I was brought back to when I was in high school. And one of my favorite days in high school when I was... Uh, taking classes like social studies or English, the courses I didn't enjoy as much as maybe the math courses I did enjoy, is, was when the teacher would wheel into the class a cart that had a TV set on it. Or honestly, in my day, it had a reel-to-reel video, okay? And I loved those days because that meant that the teacher was going to show a movie, and and I have to admit that some days, for me back then, it was a, a film strip. Okay, that shows you my age. Uh, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But uh, but I loved those days, especially in U.S. history my junior year, because that would mean that I'd get another 30 minutes of sleep, okay? And even though I liked that, the thing that I didn't like about those days was when the movie was over when you'd hear that click, click, click of the film coming to an end, then usually without any you know preparation the teacher would just bring on the lights and honestly at those times i would find myself going okay i don't like that right now sometimes cuz it woke me up sometimes cuz it would expose maybe that there was that you know when you fall asleep in class that drool coming down the side of your face and and i didn't want to be exposed that i'd been caught sleeping the truth can be that sometimes in our own lives if there's some darkness there that we don't want to expose, when Jesus' light shines into our life, we can resist it and want it to go out as well. That's what Jesus said would happen and in John chapter 3. After the most famous verse of all the Bible, John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one well only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But in verse 17, this is how the paragraph ends. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because... They have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now, catch this, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We sing a song here often at Southwest that says, Teach me to love the light and hate the dark. And I love that psalm, but let's be honest, that's, that's not, a, that's not a necessarily a natural affinity. It's a learned attitude to learn to hate the dark and to love the light. Jesus, the light of the world. And yet the prevailing good news is that the light always overcomes darkness. By the very definition of light, it illuminates darkness. It sheds light. And we, we need to cling to the light that we find in Jesus Christ. Because in every situation, light will win out over dark. Maybe not in the immediate short run, but in the end, light always prevails. But not only does light always prevail, it also brings clarity to our lives. That's our final observation. And I love the clarity that Jesus demonstrated and verbalized. And after the Pharisees, the religious people, objected to Jesus' claim that he was the light of the world, in verse 14 we read, Jesus told them these claims are valid even though I make them about myself. For I know where I come from, I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know this about me. One of the things I love and admire about Jesus was that he had this clear sense of purpose. And he lived his life with an intentionality that's truly amazing. And he tells us later in the same chapter, in John chapter 8, that we too can discover this same sense of clarity for our life if we will embrace his teachings. Listen to what he said in John chapter 8, verse 31. It says, To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You see as we cling to the teachings of Jesus and as we seriously embrace his calling to be a group of people that are serious about following Jesus and making disciples, we too will find clarity for our lives. And that clarity will bring peace. We need clarity in this world. But you know, to see clearly, we need light. Like many of you, I enjoy reading, and yet as I get a little bit older, I notice that my 50-something year old eyes need light to be able to read clearly. And so I like to read near a window where there's sunlight, or I, need, I like to read under a lamp, or I find that, that place in a public venue right underneath light so that I can read clearly. One of the reasons that we as a church, make sure that we pause every week in our service to observe communion is so that we can slow down and have some clarity to consider the life and the love of Jesus. I truly believe that, that communion is a, a corporate, a, a, a community spiritual discipline where we allow ourselves as a people to get near to the light And we allow the the light of Jesus to shine into our lives and to help us see more clearly where we're at, how we're living, maybe some things that are difficult for us to see when we go through our busy week. The Bible puts this call to live in the light as Jesus is in the light this way in 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we've heard from him. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. I'm so grateful that as I read Scripture, as I read the teachings of Jesus, that, that God's word doesn't expect us to be perfect without sin or without blemish. But we do see in our desire to follow Jesus a call to be authentic. We see the call to live our lives in the light, allowing our lives to be exposed by His light. And then when we allow ourselves to be exposed, we're called to be authentic and to come before God in confession acknowledging when we see things in our lives that aren't consistent with what it means to be a people living in the light. During our upcoming time of communion, let's allow the light of Jesus' life, his teachings, and his loving sacrifice shine into our lives. And as you consider and contemplate him and his perfection and his purity and his call to follow him. If you find yourselves being a little nervous about maybe some things in your life that that exposes, and what I want to invite you to do is to humbly confess that to God during this time and embrace the promise that's also found in, in living and walking the life is that, that in Christ, because of his blood, that we can find true forgiveness a forgiveness that wipes out every sin. Last week we had two very special people here at Southwest, Roger and Debbie Walker, make their decision to fully embrace the forgiveness that's available in Christ by being baptized. And it was truly a a special moment to participate in that time of baptizing them into Christ And even as I reflected on it this week and I went back and looked at some of the pictures that were sent to me, as I was looking at them, as I was looking at their baptism, I couldn't help but see over their shoulder the cross that's on the wall behind our baptistry. And something I'd never noticed before at the very bottom of the cross is the claim that Jesus is the light of the world. As we observe a time of communion and as we look to the cross, let's be reminded that He is the light of the world and that He shines light into our lives. He provides guidance, guidance. He provides clarity. But also by living in the light, we find forgiveness. I I love that song we sang earlier, Flawless. Says, regardless the bumps, regardless the bruises, regardless the scars, in Christ, we are blameless. Well, good news. He, de- he, he declares us flawless, not because we, in and of ourselves, are without flaw, but in Him and in His light, there's forgiveness flaws are washed away let's soak up his light and his grace during this time of communion let's pray together dear God we thank you we thank you that Jesus came from heaven to be a light to shine into our world and Father sometimes we resist that light because it exposes some junk and some muck in our lives and our hearts but help us not resist him at this time. But help us instead realizing realize that his light makes clear what we should have seen all along. And help us during this time of communion find clarity. But also help us be reminded of the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. Thank you. God, that you declare us flawless in Christ. Help us soak that up during this time of communion. It's in Jesus' name.